Today on Ag News Daily. A complete rebuild, uh, things of that nature to assure that rural Iowans have the best access to high quality health care in their rural community. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Madison Han here for the Ag News Daily podcast. And in today I am joined by Mike Pearson and Delaney Howell. Good afternoon, Madison and Delaney. It's exciting to get the chance to talk to you both. Delaney, mm-hmm. it is fair time. Have you been out at the Iowa State Fair yet? Oh, yes. I was out at the Iowa State Fair this morning, and I had myself a corn dog. Good for you. Good for you. you got to support the, uh, the corn dog farmers of America. <laughs> I don't think that's a thing. I see them growing in ditches, especially near water. Oh, okay. I think you mean cattails. Oh, maybe, maybe. Oh. I didn't study agronomy. They do look like corn dogs, though. I'm sure. I'm I sure know. someone thinks they are. I mean, I think when I was little, I used to think that they looked like corn dogs. Yeah, they do well, look they like do. corn dogs, and they do up until you bite into one. <laughs> Have you tried biting into one? No, of course not. Oh, okay. I think no. I've 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 heard that from mm, other people. Sure. Okay. Yeah, but I tell you what, we've got a great conversation coming today about uh, the USDA's rural development programs. We can't spend a whole lot of time just jawing around. Let's just jump right into the news. Delaney, Mm -hmm. what are some headlines you're watching today? Well, since we're talking about the USDA, Secretary Perdue, as well as Colin Peterson, who's, of course, the House Ag Committee, we're both up in Minnesota at a Farm Fest listening session. For those of you that don't know, Farm Fest is kind of like the Farm Progress Show, but for Minnesotans. And of course, that's uh, Peterson's home state there. Apparently, Purdue made a joke. And the joke he told, he tried to add a bit of levity to the conversation and, and opened up with a joke. He said, what do you call two farmers in a basement? A wine cellar. Oh, hey Yeah, apparently... Yikes. Purdue was met with some boos, some chuckles, but mostly <laughs> mostly some silence. It sounds like folks were not enthused about him trying to make a joke, especially at kind of their expense. And it sounds like there was a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say hostility, but maybe definitely some tension going on. But it's also kind of a funny joke, and I think right. most farmers would make the same joke and laugh. I, I think it's just, I think it's know. not that necessarily he made a joke. I think it's that he made a joke right now at this point in time. Yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah. Wasn't, yeah. Wasn't in the best of taste. Right. Well, and Delaney, I also, I saw that today. And then also the president of the Minnesota Corn Growers Association, Brian Thalman, um, did say that, you know, farmers and ranchers are not, are starting to not do great again, contrary to what Trump, a lot of Trump's statements and also, I guess they heard a lot of got an or got an earful, um, quote unquote, from the dairy from a dairy and livestock farmer who was really skeptical of the new dairy safety net program. Mm. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they've they're trying again with that program and it's not always going to be successful, you know. But I, I think yeah. this is better than the old one is kind of the, the gist I've gotten from a few of the dairy farmers I've talked to who have managed to sign up. But, yeah, yeah I mean, it's not going to certainly not going to save anybody when prices are the way they are, particularly in the dairy industry. Yeah, definitely. 
And I've got a new piece of evidence that kind of backs up the, uh, the sentiment that you guys are bringing to the table, which is that the Federal Reserve Banks of St. Louis and Kansas City released their banker surveys today. And what they have found is that two-thirds of the bankers surveyed by the St. Louis Fed found that a majority of their farm customers were either significantly or modestly impacted by the flooding and other bad weather. Um, and that is leading to some pessimism about farm income. They're concerned, particularly those growers who were hit with the flooding. You know, they are definitely going to see incomes drop. And even with the MFP payments, uh, it's not going to be enough for, um, for to, to bail a lot of folks out. This was the fact that jumped out at me. The St. Louis Fed said that the second quarter, so the, the quarter that ended here in uh, July 1, was the 22nd consecutive quarter for farm incomes dropping in their district, which is uh, basically the Midwest and the Mid-South, Arkansas, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Mississippi, Missouri, and Tennessee, 22 consecutive quarters, That's five, uh, five-ish, five-and-a-half years of incomes dropping quarter over quarter. That is, uh, I, I mean... I mean, look, I don't think that comes as any surprise to anyone. It's not great news, but we know we've been in tough times for a while. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. But now we've got the data to back it up right. you know, or the data continues to that's back true. it up, I should say. That's true. And OK, so since we're going back to what politicians have said recently, I shared this on my Twitter account the other day. I forgot to bring it up on yesterday's podcast, but I was scrolling through comments. I don't remember how I even found this, but it was White House comments from president trump apparently just goes out and and talks to reporters on the lawn or wherever but he had this comment he made that a couple of news sources have picked up now and it's quoted directly in the white house press stuff there's a video and comments and everything august 2nd so i think that was like last friday apparently a reporter asked him during one of these media gaggle events which is basically a free-for-all when they just start shouting questions and he answers the one he wants to answer um, the first part of the question is inaudible, but the last part of the question was, I talked with a soybean farmer and he said tariffs are causing crisis after crisis for him and this will kill him even more. And President Trump responded and said, you interviewed the wrong farmer, number one. He goes on to make some comments about China. And then he said, the farmers, they came out totally whole. So you interviewed the wrong farmer. And I don't like to get involved in politics. I don't like to usually share my opinion, but I was a little bit upset when I read this comment from President Trump the other day. Yeah, absolutely, especially since what we are seeing, thanks to the Federal Reserve Banks of St. Louis and Kansas City, is that farmers aren't coming out whole. I mean, right. there is still pain. The question is how much of it can get you know, dumped on the president's shoes as a consequence of trade war and how much really is, is a result of a, a lack of demand thanks to African swine fever. You know, I mean, those two, those two things are combined right now, and it's just a tough situation in the world of rural America. Yes, it is. But I've got sort of a counterpoint to that, which is that outside of rural America, particularly on Wall Street, despite a very volatile week, um, we had some better-than-expected data come out today. And um, the, there was a decent... A uh, labor report that came out earlier today, basically the number of Americans filing for unemployment benefits fell last week, uh, unexpectedly, according to Reuters, and that followed better than expected export numbers out of China, and uh, the Chinese yuan, 
which was we talked about on Monday, the Chinese government weakened it intentionally. Um, it is strengthening. So there's good news for those not out in farm country. doesn't do our listeners a whole heck of a lot of good, but you know maybe we can continue to see strong demand for uh, higher value proteins and we get to uh, urban areas. That would be the hope. Absolutely. I tell you what, what other news are you guys looking at? I pretty much didn't have a lot of time to look at news today. Those were the headlines that jumped out at me. Madison, what you got for today? Um, I have one thing. This report is actually supposed to come out tomorrow. It is the UN climate report, or later today, actually, not tomorrow. Um, But one thing that we are expected to see in it is the UN scientists are warning an intensifying struggle over competing land uses, like food production, biofuels, timber, and then plant material material for plastics. Like we've been seeing this in the news a lot, but they are all trying to really put a heavy blame on consumption of red meat and for putting stress on lands, for producing animal feed and con- contributing to half of the global methane emissions. But I feel like this is counteracting a lot of the other studies that we have or contradicting a lot of the other studies we have seen where that's really not part of the, it's part of the, global warming, but it's not what we should be blaming for global warming. Okay. And you so it's really interesting later today. Yes. All right. So it'll be well, something that we can see tomorrow. To read the whole thing, Madison. <laughs> I will. Report, but I'm sure it'll only be like 700 pages. Oh yeah. Um, I just also have one other piece of news. Um, not a huge impact in agriculture, but it definitely will have an impact in some areas. And this was the immigration raids that took place in Mississippi. Um, seven agricultural processing plants across the state of Mississippi were raided earlier today, and about 700 people were arrested. Um, and the uh, the Mexican foreign minister says that 107 Mexicans have been detained. And, uh, you know, they're not thrilled about that, as, as one would imagine. But, um, you know, that is definitely going to disrupt the work at those processing plants. I don't know specifically which plants they were, so we'll continue to do some digging. The story has been breaking pretty well all day as these uh, raids have continued, and I'm sure we'll have more hard data tomorrow. Well, I I wonder, too, I mean, I know NAFTA's kind of done on Mexico's end, but if they could throw up any sort of tantrums or, you know, have this continue to further delay our NAFTA or our USMCA negotiations, I should say. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. Well, you know, we'll see. This, like I say, it's it's all happening right now. So, still a lot to to learn as these deals shake out. Absolutely. You know what else we can see shake out, Mike? Is today's hot rod farmer minute with our friend Ray Bohax of the Idle Chatter podcast on Global Ag Network. Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I'm Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast found on the Global Ag Network. There is not a type of farm equipment that has not been exposed to the integration of electronics. Today we have electronic diesel engines, advanced planters with precision controls and sensors, along with combine cabs with enough monitors that to the untrained eye one would think that it is the space shuttle. All of this has helped to increase crop yields and make farming more profitable. That is when they work. Technology is a wonderful thing, but it is a double-sided sword, a real headache when things go wrong. 
When trying to figure out why an electrical device is not functioning, most of us apply the logical step of grabbing the voltmeter and checking the power supply. The conventional wisdom being, if it has power, it should work. If not, the problem must be in the component, a faulted logic that often leads us astray. But confirming the input voltage is only half of the equation. A DC circuit needs a proper ground to function correctly. When confronted with an electrical device that is either not working or showing misbehavior, the proper protocol is to confirm the input voltage with an accurate meter. If the voltage is correct, then your attention needs to be focused on the ground side of the circuit. A circuit can have the voltage supply or the ground switched on and off. The proper mindset when working with electronics is to accept that in most instances there is no predictor of how the circuit will respond with a poor ground. The test procedure is very simple. The circuit that is being tested must be powered up and activated so you may require a helper. Place the meter's negative lead on the battery negative cable and the positive lead on the ground being tested. Activate the circuit and read the meter. A good ground will have a maximum of three-tenths of a volt on the circuit. Anything more than that and the ground is poor. Huge thanks to Ray there for contributing to the Ag News Daily Podcast with the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. But Mike, how about you kick us over to the markets? All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. I mentioned yesterday, I'm going to mention it again today, we are doing a webinar for the Zaner Group. You can check out the Ag News Daily Facebook page, catch a link to that. It will be starting at 3.30. However, it will be recorded, and we will repost it on our YouTube page once it is completed. So be sure to log on there and check that out, or get a hold of me at the office at 312-277-0112. As I mentioned, green on the screen today. As we look at the corn market, September was up four and a half cents at four eleven. Even the December contract up four and a quarter to close the day at four eighteen and a quarter. In soybeans, the September contract up sixteen and a quarter cents. Finished the day at eight seventy and a quarter. November new crop also climbed sixteen and a quarter cents to close at eight eighty three even. In Chicago wheat, that SEP contract was up ten and a quarter cents. Finishing the day at four ninety eight and a half. December up eight and three quarters. Closed the day right at. even. Jumping over to the world of livestock, in live cattle, the October contract climbed 30 cents at 106.75. December was up 45 cents at 111.62.50. And in feeder cattle, that September contract was up 50 cents at 139.87.50. The October climbed 72.50 to finish at 139.62 and a half. And in lean hogs, the October was up $1.02.50 at 67.87.50. The December up a dollar eighty two fifty to finish at sixty five twenty five. Jumping over to the world of dairy in class three milk, we've got some mixed trade, really the only red on the screen. The August contract was up four cents at seventeen fifty four, with the September down two pennies to close the day at seventeen seventy eight. As I mentioned, we're talking today with our friend Grant Menke from the Iowa Rural Development Program at USDA. He fills us in on what all RD has to offer folks living in rural America. So with that, let's kick it over to Grant. For today's interview, we are joined by Grant Menke, the State Director of USDA Rural Development. And Grant, can you give us a quick little rundown what rural development is? Absolutely. Rural development is one of eight mission areas at USDA. A lot of times people think of 
USDA and they think farm loans, crop insurance, food safety, you know, those types of things. But we also play a major role in community economic development. So at Rural Development, we provide uh, loans and grants to help expand economic opportunities, improve quality of life, and create jobs in rural areas. So the assistance we provide through 40 different uh, loan and grant programs uh, supports infrastructure improvements, business development, housing, uh, community facilities such as schools, public safety and healthcare, and uh, high-speed internet access in rural areas, just to name a few of the things that we do. Well, and it, it's fantastic. I've got to say a huge thank you to Rural Development. My very first house in the rural community of Grinnell was purchased with a, a Rural Development loan through USDA. That's fantastic, Mike. Uh, my uh, younger brother had the same experience in Perry, Iowa. So, yep, I definitely can identify with that. So, listeners, if you're looking for a property in a rural community, and Grant, what's the breakdown? What makes a community rural versus urban? How do you guys make that determination? That's a great question. So, uh, it depends on the different program area that you're working in, but generally speaking, uh, we look at rural areas as defined as uh, either 10,000 population and under, 20,000, or 50,000. So, just to Put a finer point on that, our water and environmental programs, which focus on updating uh, and upgrading and replacing uh, key water infrastructure, drinking water, storm water, uh, wastewater, uh, those uh, communities that are eligible for that assistance are 10,000 and under. Um, the majority of our programs have uh, a 20,000 and under population limit. That includes our housing programs, our broadband programs, and our community facilities programs. Um, and then our business programs are uh, available to communities with 50,000 population and under. Gotcha. Well, now, beyond housing, let's talk a little bit about the business programs, because revitalizing rural areas is is a huge challenge facing the country as we continue to see, you know, populations in rural areas uh, decline. Making sure there are incentives to be there and to start a business are hugely important. Grant, let's talk a little bit about what those programs look like from the USDA perspective. Absolutely. So with our business programs, uh, we are, are able to do uh, business and industry guaranteed loans to assist uh, small businesses in rural areas with expansions, equipment purchases, working capital, um, things of that nature. We also have uh, the REAP program, Rural Energy for America program, which uh, focuses on renewable energy and energy efficiency. So we've worked with a lot of ag producers and rural uh, small businesses to do things like uh, add solar arrays to their operation, uh, wind turbines, energy efficient lighting. And then with our ag producers, we've done uh, numerous uh, grain dryers over the years. And we also work with uh, biofuel producers on the REAP program as well. So that program has made a huge impact in Iowa. One of the more unique programs that we have where we probably do it better than any state in the nation is our Rural Economic Development Loan and Grant Program. 
In that program, we work with a local utility organization, often a rural electric cooperative, a telephone cooperative, or a local municipal utility, and they are able to uh, get a uh, up to a $2 million 10-year zero interest loan, which they are then able to pass through to uh, an, an ultimate recipient, a, a, a new business, a a new uh, venture, uh, something to make a, a real impact in a rural community. That uh, program also has a grant component um, that helps uh, start and uh, perpetuate revolving loan funds uh, that are able to then reinvest in rural communities. So that is a, a very unique program and uh, an example of great partnership throughout the state that uh, is definitely making an impact in terms of job creation, in terms of, uh, yeah, I mean, business development. And, and so we're really proud of that. We also have uh, rural business development grants, uh, which uh, provide technical assistance and, uh, and feasibility studies and training uh, to, once again, uh, help, you know, with that skilled workforce element. Um, or just other uh, opportunities to help grow businesses in rural communities. And finally, value-added producer grants, which uh, help uh, ag producers uh, add value to the products that they produce. Um, once again, uh, doing uh, technical assistance and feasibility studies and marketing opportunities and developing new products. Some examples of that would be you know, dairy operations, opening up a creamery or a livestock producer wanting to market their own meat product. Those are uh, real success stories that we've seen time and time again throughout the state, and we'd like to keep that going. That is very cool. Great. Now, you, you used two phrases that I want you to clarify, if you can, please. The first is a guaranteed loan. Can you explain what that is? Absolutely. So a guaranteed loan is a, uh, a, a process where a, uh, a private uh, lender will, will make a loan uh, to a, a business and the federal government will, will guarantee a percentage of that loan. So for our business and industry uh, guaranteed loan program, for loans up to $5 million, we will guarantee that loan at the 80% level from five to $10 million, it's at the 60% level, um, or excuse me, 70% level, and then uh, at the uh, $10 million and above is at the 60% level. So once again, 80, 70, 60%. And uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it just uh, provides an extra backing uh, for, uh, you know, unique loans that are made in, in rural communities. And, uh, and yeah, it is very much in line with the mission of our of our agency. The second one I was wondering if you could define is a revolving loan fund. What is that? So a revolving loan fund is uh, essentially a, a pool of of, of funding um, that starts with a uh, from our standpoint a grant from uh, uh, rural development that is then. Uh, managed by a, a, uh, a utility organization in, our, in a rural community. So uh, 
and as that uh, and it, it it revolving basically means there will be uh, you know they can make loans uh, from their revolving loan fund uh, to support uh, community economic development to help support a business to help support a project in the community once again it's paid back at no interest and then um, and once it's paid back they can relend it again so it's just a great way for our funds to be utilized over and over again at the local level to make sure it makes the the, the impact that makes the most sense for our uh, rural communities that's awesome grant and i kind of want to touch on uh, some of the projects that USDA Rural Development works with? Because I know here in Winterset, um, they helped kind of fund or give loans to the John Wayne Birthplace Museum. So what are some what are some ex- other examples of projects that you may have helped fund or helped um, kind of h- communities develop over time? Yeah, and I'll just give you some some general examples. So you know, Iowa in, in the healthcare front, Iowa has uh, 82 critical access hospitals around the state. And rural development through our community facilities loan program has helped to um, to keep those uh, uh, facilities thriving um, by uh, doing expansions, uh, complete rebuilds, uh, things of that nature to assure that rural Iowans have the best access to high quality health care in their rural communities. Um, public safety, we have a community facilities grant program that works with lots of communities to uh, help uh, upgrade you know, their fire stations, purchase a new fire truck, perhaps a, a new police car, um, a new ambulance, things of that nature to assure that communities have uh, the, the best uh, equipment and uh, vehicles and facilities available for public facility, public safety. Um, education, we, we work with, uh, with schools uh, around rural communities in Iowa um, to, you know, to uh, upgrade and expand uh, schools. And um, we also have uh, an interesting, uh, a, a distance learning and telemedicine program that hits on both healthcare and education, where um, we can um, help provide the equipment to uh, just, you know, expand educational and healthcare opportunities via, uh, you know, telecommunications that would not otherwise be available. And, you know, I mentioned some of the business aspects, uh, and I would be remiss if I didn't get into housing. I mean, every year, our programs assist over 2,000 homeowners in Iowa achieving the dream of home ownership through our direct loans, through our guaranteed loans. Um, So that is definitely making a huge impact around the state. We also have a uh, a, uh, home repair loan and grant program that's available to to low income and uh, our seniors uh, throughout the state that help make uh, critical um, uh, health and safety and and upgrades to their homes. Uh, So so that's another successful program. We also have a multifamily housing program 
where uh, over the years, rural development has helped finance the construction of uh, actually several hundred uh, apartment complexes in rural communities around the state. And we continue to be actively engaged in those projects uh, with uh, rental assistance uh, for uh, uh, those people who are uh, who are taking advantage of those uh, multifamily housing opportunities. And broadband is a a, a big area of focus right now. And uh, the this uh, the Trump administration rolled out a pilot program. Um, called the Reconnect program, which has its entire stated purpose as uh, providing, uh, deploying broadband in areas, rural communities throughout the United States that do not have sufficient access to high-speed internet. And so this was, uh, uh, Congress provided $1.15 billion in funding over the last couple of uh, funding cycles and we just had our first application period for a loan, for a loan and grant combination and for a grant only, uh, uh, $600 million of total funding. And we were pleased that we had a number of applications um, that uh, will help expand broadband in Iowa if, if they are selected um, for those applications. So. We're really excited about that as well, you know, um, and it's very much in line with the, the Governor's Empower Rural Iowa initiative. Uh, broadband is a huge part of uh, community economic development from uh, an education standpoint, from a healthcare standpoint, from a quality of life standpoint, and certainly from an agriculture standpoint, as uh, our um, ag producers are becoming more and more advanced more and more connected uh, and high speed internet connectivity is going to play an even more vital role as we continue to uh, do what we do best here in Iowa and that is um, feed and fuel the world. That is awesome Grant and uh, how can listeners get in touch with rural development if they have any questions or want to find out more? That's a great question. So um, they are always welcome to visit our website, which is uh, www.rd.usda.gov slash IA. And uh, our phone number is here at the state office is 515-284-4663. And I would be uh, remiss if I did not mention that we have 11 offices across the state to serve the 1.7 million Iowans living in rural communities and areas. And our office locations are include a state office in Des Moines, along with area offices in Albia, Atlantic, Humboldt, Indianola, Iowa Falls, Lamars, Mount Pleasant, Storm Lake, Tipton, and Waverly. So our uh, 70 employees in those 11 offices are engaged locally. They are uh, not only employees in rural communities, they are citizens in rural communities, and they have the pulse of what's going on in those communities. And so it's really neat to be a part of this agency where uh, the, our 
what makes us do what we do best is our local connection with rural communities and the fact that our employees, this is more than a nine to five job for them. These are the communities that they live in as well as work in. So they have uh, certainly a vested interest in, in make, you know, getting the most bang for our buck for the programs and making the biggest impact that we can. Absolutely. Listeners, if you're out there living or working in a rural area, be sure to check out the USDA's RD website and just see what kind of tools are out there because there's a plethora of them around and we can all come together to make rural America better. Grant Mickey, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today here on the podcast. Thank you so much. You have a great day. All right. Big thanks to Grant for taking the time to fill us in. As I mentioned, folks, a lot of opportunities out there. If you live in rural America, be sure to check out everything they offer there at Rural Development. Delaney, if folks want to check out past episodes, where can they go to do that? Well, they can find us on pretty much any podcast directory, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, etc. Or you can always head to our website, globalagnetwork.com, and listen to our past episodes as well as other Global Ag Network podcasts, blogs, and video content. Madison, if they want to interact with us on social media, how can they do that? Well, listeners can always find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ag News Daily and at Global Ag Network. They can share what they're doing in the industry, how they're enjoying their state fairs and county fairs, and share their pictures with us and follow along. Fantastic. Listeners, be sure to do all of those things. And with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 